Self-care is giving the world the best of you instead of what's left of you. Katie Reed Hello and welcome to the Elegant Balance Podcast, where we explore how to create a well-balanced life full of simplicity, joy, and beauty. I'm your hostess, Dr. Kaylee Hackney, wife, working mom, and expert in the work-life interface. In this podcast, I'll be sharing the science behind work-life balance, practical tips, and plenty of love and encouragement along the way. My desire is to inspire women to pursue their elegant balance. I'm so excited that you're here. Let's get started. Good morning, everyone. I hope you are doing well this morning or whatever time it is that you're listening to this. We have spent the last four weeks discussing work family guilt here on the Elegant Balance podcast, the causes and consequences of work family guilt, how to manage it, and even how to let go of a major driver behind many of our guilt, perfectionism. This week, we are going to wrap up this series on work family guilt by digging into how we, as working moms, can practice self-care without all the guilt. But before we jump into the main course for today, I wanted to do a listener spotlight. I haven't done one of these for quite a while, so it's definitely about time. Today, I want to shine the light on Lori Oberbruckling. She left a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcast. She stated, I have been absolutely loving this series on mom guilt. I think that so many of us moms are challenged by guilt even when we know we are doing the right things for our family. Learning about the research has been refreshing. Thank you so much, Lori, for taking the time to leave a review. It truly means the world to me, and I'm thrilled that you are really enjoying the series. Um, If you've enjoyed the show and you haven't left a rating or a review yet, what in the world are you waiting for? No, but really, it means so much to me because it helps other women find this podcast and the whole goal of me doing these episodes each and every week is to help as many women as possible to create their ideal work-life balance. So please, if you haven't already done so, head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening to this and leave a review. Who knows, maybe I'll be able to feature your review next week. So in today's episode, I want to start out by discussing two myths that fuel our guilt behind taking care of ourselves. Secondly, I'm going to define self-care and share some of the history behind the concept of self-care, as well as the outcomes that it's been linked to in the research. And then finally, we will wrap things up by sharing some of my favorite ways of approaching self-care and incorporating it into my daily life. And I hope that you enjoy this episode. So the number one excuse that I hear from other women for not making their self-care a priority is that they feel guilty about it. What pops into your mind when I say self-care? Do you envision facials and pedicures and trips to the beach? If so, you are not alone. There are two major myths about self-care that cause us to feel guilty about it. The first one is that self-care is overly indulgent. We assume that self-care is indulgent and selfish, something that requires a great deal of time and money. 
If you've listened to my previous podcast, you know that work family research emphasizes the importance of resources. Resources such as time, energy, and money are vital in creating a balanced life. We need those resources to meet all the demands that come our way. In fact, in episode 21, we learned that work family guilt occurs because we simply don't have the resources available to meet our work and or our family demands, and when we fall short, we feel guilty about it. When we are in this situation, already feeling guilty because we can't live up to our own or others' expectations for us at work and at home, it is easy to put our self-care on the back burner. Resources are limited, and it feels selfish to utilize them on ourselves. But I hope that our discussion today will help you realize that this is a myth. Self-care is not necessarily indulgent and in fact is something that we need to do so that we can care well for those around us. The second myth of self-care is that it is a zero-sum game. This goes along the same lines as the first myth, but we tend to feel guilty about self-care because we are assuming that self-care is a zero-sum game. You may think that taking the time to engage in self-care results in a loss for those around you, such as your spouse, children, supervisor or coworkers, or your friends. But that is not usually the case. Yes, some self-care practices might pull you away from caring for others, but those same practices will leave you rejuvenated and with more energy and better mental and physical health than before, which are resources that can then be used to meet those other demands. Further, as we will discuss later in this podcast, self-care does not have to be complicated. It does not take away from anybody at home or at work for you to brush your teeth, take your vitamins each day, or eat a healthy snack instead of the candy bar. Okay, that being said, let's jump into the truth about self-care. Self-care can be defined as activities or practices that we engage in on a regular basis to reduce stress, maintain, and enhance our health and well-being. Researchers first became interested in self-care due to the recognition that individuals in the helping professions, such as therapists or nurses, that they needed to care for themselves in addition to caring for others. As hinted at in the definition that I just shared, there are two primary aims of self-care. The first aim is to limit negative outcomes such as stress or burnout. This is where the majority of the academic research has focused on. The second aim of self-care is to enhance positive outcomes such as resilience, happiness, or overall well-being. This is the type of self-care that you see more prevalently featured on your Instagram feeds or in the mainstream media. In a review of the self-care literature, Lisa Butler and her colleagues provided a really helpful way to think about self-care. Specifically, they suggested that self-care should consider our entire being and accordingly broke self-care down into six different domains. The physical, professional, relational, emotional, psychological, and spiritual. That was a mouthful. This means that self-care is necessarily more than just going to get a massage or a facial, and that is really great news. So, 
How do we cultivate a daily self-care practice without feeling guilty about it? In preparation for this week's podcast, I was reflecting on my own self-care activities and why I even started doing those self-care practices in the first place. If you know me or have been listening to the show for very long, you know that I love the French culture. And in reflecting, I realized that many of my self-care practices began when I started studying French women and their approach to motherhood. In my opinion, there is no better model for a guilt-free self-care than the French woman. She takes exquisite care of herself without apology, yet her approach to self-care is very laissez-faire, which literally translates to let it be. And what I mean by this is that she doesn't strive for perfection in her self-care practices. She approaches self-care more as a way of just living than something that she needs to check off her to-do list. Thinking about self-care this way, for me, it feels lighter and easier and more elegant, which is what I'm always striving for. So also, in reading more about French women's approach to self-care, I was really struck by the fact that one of the main reasons they prioritize taking care of themselves is because they were taught to do so by their mothers at a really young age. If that doesn't provide motivation to take better care of ourselves without guilt, I don't know what will. By taking good care of ourselves and showing that to our children, we are encouraging them and being role models for them to take good care of themselves. And what mother doesn't want a child who takes good care of themselves? So how do you get there? How do we get to the point where self-care is just a natural part of our daily lives? Not something that we feel guilty about, not something that we feel yucky about, but something that we fully embrace and that we love to do. And the answer is that we create a self-care plan. Now, I didn't make up these steps for the self-care plan. Um, They were actually part of the the article by Lisa Butler and her colleagues on self-care. But I wanted to share it with you today because I think it's a really helpful way to start getting intentional about your self-care practices and also a way to not get really that overwhelmed by self-care. So the first step is to specify the self-care practices that you currently do and the ones that you want to incorporate into your life. Taking exquisite care of ourselves requires that we consider our whole person. Think back to those six domains of self-care that I mentioned earlier, the physical, professional, relational, emotional, psychological, and spiritual. Think of these as six different buckets that you need to fill in order to be the best version of yourself. Now, before you get overwhelmed, let me share some of the activities that might fit into each bucket because I think you will be surprised by how simple self-care can actually be. So your first bucket is your physical bucket. This type of self-care refers to anything that involves taking care of our physical body so that we can achieve optimal functioning and avoid any health problems or concerns. You are probably already doing some of the activities that fall into this category. Things like making sure you get enough sleep, exercising, moving your body, eating healthy meals and snacks, even going in for your regular checkups at the doctor, the dentist, the eye doctor, or your therapist, counts as physical self-care. 
Your second bucket is the professional bucket. These are self-care activities aimed at managing or preventing work-related stress. Professional self-care might include practicing time management skills or taking breaks throughout the workday as needed, seeking out social support and mentorship from supervisors and coworkers, engaging in professional development, and purposefully creating a work-life balance, which we are all trying to do, right? You wouldn't be here if you weren't. My guess is that many of you never even considered that these practices qualify as self-care. I know I didn't. Yet, shifting our mindset to a more holistic view of self-care helps us to see that we actually can do this without feeling guilty. We likely are already doing some of these things, and we don't feel guilty about those. The third bucket is your relational bucket. These are self-care activities that are aimed at maintaining and enhancing our interpersonal connections with others. Yes, spending time with our friends and family is necessary and good for us. Social support has long been shown to help alleviate stress and enhance well-being. Relational self-care might include a girls' night out with your best friends, or a date night with your spouse, or even a weekend trip to go and visit your family. Next, we have our emotional bucket. These are self-care practices aimed at addressing negative emotional experiences or aimed at creating and enhancing positive emotional experiences. Emotional self-care practices include replacing any destructive ways of coping with more positive coping strategies. For instance, instead of ruminating on a stressful situation, you instead identify an activity that can interrupt that rumination and provide some peace or comfort for yourself. Other practices that fall into this bucket include things like meditation or yoga, and simply just seeking out people, places, and activities that bring you joy. Next is our psychological bucket. These self-care activities are aimed at satisfying our intellectual needs and gaining increased self-awareness. Psychological self-care might include listening to your favorite music, reading poetry, having thoughtful conversations, solving puzzles, daydreaming, and just being curious about yourself and the world around you. And then finally, we have our spiritual bucket. These self-care activities create space for us to reflect on our own inner needs and our place within the world and the universe. For some of us, spiritual self-care will be rooted in our faith. For others, it might be entirely secular. Spiritual self-care practices can include prayer, attending church, reading scripture, singing, spending time with your church community, even meditation or taking a walk through the woods, noticing the intricacies of nature, being awed by the sunset, or going stargazing. Can you see how many of these activities are already included in your daily life? And if they're not, most of them can easily be added. Now, I want you to ask yourself, what are you currently doing in each of these six domains? Next, think about whether there are any buckets that need to be filled up some more. On the flip side, are there any buckets that are too full? The next three steps, steps three through two, or two through four, involve cultivating your new self-care activities. 
First, you will want to identify and remove any barriers that might hold you back from implementing the new practices that you want to incorporate into your daily life. Maybe you need to find the time. Maybe you need to shift your mindset. Or maybe you just need to make things easier for yourself. For example, if you want to start taking your vitamins on a daily basis, but always seem to forget, sit them out on the counter so that you see them when you brush your teeth first thing in the morning. The next step is to track your progress. Take note of which self-care practices you add to your routine. Maybe even schedule a self-care re-evaluation where you walk through these same steps again in six months or a year to see where you're at and see where you need to um, reevaluate or shift your attention. And then finally, find yourself a support team who will keep you accountable and also encourage you to continue taking care of yourself. As the opening quote states, self-care is giving the world the best of you instead of what's left of you. One final piece of advice as you embark on a guilt-free self-care journey is to start small. Baby steps are still steps in the right direction. Don't try to overhaul your self-care routines in one night. If you do, you run the risk of not sticking to any of them, getting overwhelmed by trying to do it all and then just quitting, or beating yourself up because you're not doing it right. Remember, this is a lifestyle change, not just a quick overnight fix. I hope that this episode is helpful in shifting the way that you think about self-care and realizing that it doesn't have to be complicated, that it doesn't have to be indulgent or selfish, and especially that it doesn't have to be something that we feel guilty about doing. When we take exquisite care of ourselves, that allows us to turn around and take exquisite care of the people around us, the people that we love. Also, I hope that you've enjoyed this series on work family guilt as much as I have enjoyed putting it together for you all. Have a beautiful, joy-filled week, friends. Thank you so much for listening to the Elegant Balance Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss any of our future conversations. Also, it would mean a lot to me if you could leave me a five-star rating and review in iTunes or wherever you're listening to this episode. Thank you, friends, and have a beautiful, joy-filled week.